0: Well, turn to your neighbor this morning and tell them real loud that they are a great gift. I hope everybody in the room heard that and received that today. Online family, I hope someone was there to say it to you. If you didn't have somebody next to you, let me tell you, you are a great gift. And I really mean that. You have to know your infinite worth. You have to know that you are on God's refrigerator this morning. He loves you so much, and that's what we're talking about this morning. God is for you. God came, God cares, and God is coming again. He loves you so much. Um, If you have been with us during this series, you've heard a couple messages already. We're calling it Down to Earth. And we're talking about the dissension of the the discarnate God. If you know your Latin today, you know that when we talk about something being carnal, we're using the word flesh. So we, we have a God without flesh who becomes incarnate. God in flesh. He was incorporeal, right? Corpus, body. He had no body. And then he put on a body. He became corporeal. This is uh, what Pastor Jerry shared a few weeks ago in the message called Now in Flesh Appearing. Now in Flesh Appearing. That's who Jesus was. He came from lofty to lowly. He showed us his capacity for intimacy with us. And in this series, we've been looking uh, at different aspects of the incarnation. We've talked about God with us, Emmanuel. Today, we're going to talk about God for us. And in just a few weeks, we're gonna consider God in us, being an incarnational church. So uh, note takers this morning, note takers, you are history makers. I want you to title this message, God for us. When you gather on Christmas day and somebody starts handing out the gifts under the tree, um, they'll say something like, this one is for grandma. This one is for Lamar. This one is for Johnny or Susie and a lot goes into that word this gift is for you when you look under the tree and you read that on the tag this is for you it means that thought and care was taken thinking about what pleases you what makes you happy what would you like to receive what will put the biggest smile on your face when you unwrap it money was earned money was saved and money was spent so that you could read the word on the tag for you. When you read that word for you, time was taken to go to the store or go to the online store. Maybe time was taken by the Amazon delivery driver for you. Paper was wrapped, tape was wrestled out of a dispenser, bows were tied, this was done for you. When you read that preposition for, it means an exchange has happened. Somebody has exchanged their time, their thoughts about you, their money, they've exchanged that and they've, they've taken on that expense so that you could take on a gift. When we consider the incarnation today, we're gonna to think about God being for us. There is an exchange that we read about in 2 Corinthians 5.18. says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that word "reconciled" is "katalasso." It means exchanged. They would use that word when they would talk about the exchange of coins in um, in antiquity, in the uh, ancient Greek culture. People would do "katalasso." That word just broken down: "kata," it's the word that means "down," and "lasso," which means change or agreement. So they're coming down to a point of compromise. I agree to give you this in exchange for this. Catalasso, exchange. And God is saying uh, to us that we have been reconciled to Him through Christ, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have been exchanged. God receives us gladly into His family because something was given for us. We read about it in Philippians 2 6 through 11. This is a meaty chunk of scripture that we're going to consider today some have called it uh, the richest doctrinal text in all of the bible Um, these few verses we're going to read uh, are, are titled the kenosis hymn by paul and in this is what it says christ jesus though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant The end of verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7 here talks about the exchange, talks about what God did for us. And I want to read it to you in a couple different translations this morning so that we can really grasp it and understand it. There's a lot of confusion about this, uh, uh, about some of the uh, clauses in these sentences that has led people to vastly different understandings of Christ vastly different understandings of the incarnation. Who is Jesus? In fact, there, were, um, there was so much dissension in, in the thinking about the incarnation and who Jesus was for us that uh, many different church leaders and scholars, students of theology, uh, called a big meeting together to just hash it out we need a definition. We need some delineation about who Jesus is. We need some alignment in our, in our Christian understanding. And, and you and I, we stand on the shoulders of the church that has gone before us, the church that has argued and debated and worked through an understanding of the text and sifted it and examined it to come to some doctrinal statements that today we just stand on, we just enjoy, we understand clearly and receive. In 451 A.D., a council was called. It's called the Council of Chalcedon, and I'm not going to get super deep for you here. I know some of you are excited about church history, and some of you aren't. So, uh, so what happens is we have the uh, Antiochian Church and the Alexandrian Church, and there's just a disagreement on the nature of Christ. So he's one person, the, the second person of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, but we have Christ who is fully God and fully man. And there was a lot of disagreement about how two natures could live in one person. Some people said, well, he was two different people. Well, he, he wasn't really God. He became God later. Um, some people believe uh, he was only divine. He actually wasn't human. It was just a mirage. He was putting up a, a kind of a smokescreen where we thought he was human, but he wasn't. And, and so the church said, we need to get together And we need to study the scripture and talk about this. So in Chalcedon, here comes our definition, definition of who Christ really was. We call it uh, hypostasis, which means two states in one, two natures, one person. And as we read in Philippians, we read this kenosis hymn, we understand that Jesus exists in three modes, in two natures, in one person. Paul lines it out, three modes. First he's God uncreated. He was the word that created the world, fully divine, creative God. And then he's fully man. He really was born of a woman. The, the word uh, we read in scripture about this is genomenos. He became or he emerged as a man. So the second state that is humbled, and humiliated in the form of a servant living for us. And then we see that he is glorified by God the Father. In these, these three phususes, we read in the Greek, three forms in two natures, fully man and fully God. In one person, the Son, the second person of the Godhead. In that, that two natures coming together as one. It's difficult for us to understand It doesn't diminish either he was always fully god in every moment and always fully man as he lived out his life on this earth together in one doesn't diminish each other don't mix the two they're totally preserved but yet they exist in one person. We call it the hypostatic union. And that's what came out of the Council of Chalcedon. That's what we stand on today. That helps us understand how Jesus can be our bodily high priest, that he really was a man. Yet at the same time, the Godhead was never diminished. He's always fully God. And and when we say, okay, how can that be? When we look at how Jesus lived this life, it seems that maybe he was limited in his knowledge, limited in his power, at times. And, and how can that fully be? Well, we understand it through this word kenosis, this word that we read in Philippians 2.6 that says, he emptied himself. Let's, let's check it out in a couple different translations. In the ESV, it says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. In the Phillips translation, it says, he did not cling to his prerogatives, is God's equal, but stripped himself of all privilege by consenting to be a slave. He did not, in the living Bible, demand and cling to his rights as God, but laid aside his mighty power and glory. In the Amplified, it says, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be asserted, but emptied himself temporarily, giving up the outward expression of his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bondservant. When Jesus was born as a man, we say, Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus humbles himself, empties himself of of his majesty and glory to live as a a slave serving you and serving me, living his life as a gift, we say, God for us, God for us. And so um, what I wanna just help us understand is today this word kenosis that jesus emptied himself he never let go of his divine nature he was always omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient he was always fully god but what he did is he emptied himself of his rights and privileges to exercise his power to exercise his knowledge to exercise his glory he was always fully god but he let go of his prerogatives. He emptied himself of his privilege and took on the form of a servant. You know, in the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John accompanied Jesus, they see him as fully God. His divine nature was revealed to them that was always there, but what was happening in the rest of Jesus' bodily life is Jesus emptied himself. So even though his divine nature was there, he took on the form of a servant. Um, Out of love, Jesus accepted the limitations that were the Father's will. Self-surrender is part of incarnational living. We're going to get into that in a couple weeks. But that's key to the incarnation is the self-surrender of your rights and privileges, your prerogatives, that you don't necessarily assert all the things you have the right to. We saw Jesus tired, hungry, thirsty, lonely, sad, and wounded. We saw him annoyed. Jesus not only was made in the likeness of man, but allowed himself to be emptied, to make no use of his divine attributes in the incarnate life, to occupy the place of a slave. And in this, we see Jesus' incarnate God for us sacrifice. Uh, I want to look at the results of what it means that he emptied himself, that he humbled himself as our servant. You see, Jesus could have lived in his bodily life full of glory, full of all his divine attributes. He could have seen people coming to subject him, to whip him, to arrest him, to spit on him, to slap him. He have seen people coming to disrespect him and dishonor him and said, no, no, I'm still God with us, but no, I'm going to live in my, in my glory and majesty. But that second part, he humbled himself as a slave. That's God for us. So this is what we benefit in that beautiful exchange when he said, okay, I'm going to think about you, just like when someone gives you a gift. I'm going to save and spend on you. I'm going to take the time. That's what Jesus did, nine months in a womb, 33 years on the earth. That's what Jesus did. He was God for us. So in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Jesus never sinned, but he became sin-soaked. He went to, the, to our cross to, to suffer our death with our sin on him, right? So we could become his righteousness. 1 Peter 2.24 says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed, Galatians 4, four through five says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. So let's look up at the screen this morning and let's just walk through a couple of the things we just read about in this beautiful exchange. Because Christ humbled himself and took on the form of the servant, because he was emptied, we can be filled. Because Jesus because Jesus became sin for us, we become His righteousness. Because He was wounded, we could be healed. Because He became the ransom for us, we could experience freedom, and because He was abandoned, we could be adopted. So as Jesus takes on this form, he becomes God for us, in exchange. Happens and a gift becomes available for you and for me. If you're taking notes today, number one was Jesus emptied himself so we could be filled. The second thing I want you to remember is that God exchanged his purposeful son for a prodigal creation. Look at this amazing parable Jesus told us about the prodigal son, and as we read it, I want to consider who Jesus was as the Son of God, how Jesus lived. And let's insert Jesus into this story. If you don't know the story, let me um, paraphrase it for you. A man had two sons. The younger son tells his father, I want my share of your inheritance now as if you were dead. Can we fast forward to your funeral? Because I, I want what I'm going to get later now. And uh The the father says, yes, and he divides his wealth between the two sons. A few days later, the son packs his belongings. He heads out to a distant land and squanders all of the money, all of the inheritance, all of the blessing in wild living. And when his money ran out, a famine came. He began to starve. He started working for a farmer as an indentured servant type of slave. He's working for him, and he's, he's just feeding pigs in the mud, in the, in the dirt. And he says, man, I want to eat what, this, what the pigs are eating. I want to eat that slop. I'm so hungry. I'm so destitute. I'm literally at the, uh, have been dehumanized to the point where I wish I could just live as this animal. And he, all of a sudden he came to his senses. And this is what the word says. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as one of your hired servants. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to the father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, quickly, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. In the incarnation, Jesus's role In the plan of redemption is the inverse of the prodigal son. We read between the lines and we see a contrast of who Jesus was as the purposeful son when we read about the prodigal son. First, the prodigal son left with his father's wealth. Jesus was sent to bring his father's wealth back. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. He came to bring everybody back to the Father. He came to restore his Father's wealth. The prodigal son left. Jesus was sent. The prodigal son emptied his pockets for his own pleasure, squandered the wealth on wild living, living sensually, living the way our culture lives, right? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Squandered it, emptied his pockets. Jesus, we read that word kenosis, he emptied himself earlier. He emptied his life, not for his own pleasure, but for his father's pleasure. That was one of the things Jesus emptied. He didn't just empty himself of his glory and majesty, empty himself of the, the rights and privileges and prerogatives of his divine nature while he was living on earth. He emptied himself of his own will. That's a huge part of the incarnation. Not my will, but your will be done. What will put a smile on your face, Father? He emptied his life for the Father's pleasure. The prodigal son earned consequences. He he was living in abject poverty. He couldn't say, man, it's because of this person. It's because of that friend. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. No, it's his own fault. Jesus chose the consequences. He humbled himself even to death on the cross. He chose it. The prodigal son was accepted by the father. Jesus was forsaken by the father. On the cross, he hung. He spoke out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The prodigal son got a robe, a robe, to display the riches and wealth of his father. He was clothed. He was no longer cold and hungry, he got a ring. The authority of the father was given to him once again. That ring would be a sign of the father's authority. and his sons wore that ring, they could make decisions and act on the behalf of the father, an ambassador of the father. And he was, he was clothed with sandals on his feet. Jesus got a different robe, didn't he? He got a robe of scorn and mockery Jesus was clothed with a bloody robe that the wounds on his back soaked through. He got a different type of crown. Didn't get that ring on the finger. He got a a crown of thorns pushed into his brow. And he didn't get sandals put on his feet. He got a nail, a spike driven through them. The prodigal son received... The fattened calf killed for him in a redemption celebration so that everybody could feast and celebrate his freedom and restoration, his reconciliation in the family. Jesus was that calf that was sacrificed for us, killed for our redemption celebration, killed for our joy. When we read the story of the prodigal son, we see ourselves. We see a prodigal creation that had all left All of us have gone astray. Who is righteous? No, not one of us. And when God looked out on that prodigal creation, he knew, he knew that his perfect son would have to be slain. The plan of redemption was already in motion. We read between the lines and we see the purposeful son given for the prodigals. You might say, okay, Anthony, You know none of that is in the story you're telling me right now we're reading between every single line to see jesus and and that's true the spiritual meaning in parables takes a spiritual eye but let me show you where jesus is in the story where we actually see jesus in the story he shows up he shows up right at the climax jesus is the way he's the way back that the prodigal son walked he's the only path to eternal life. He's the only path to restoration. He's the street that that prodigal son walked from a distant land on, step by step. He's the road that the son could believe on. I believe that my father will take me back. I believe that my father will receive me into his home again. He was the road that he could believe on. He was that that road that the father could sprint down. Jesus was the road the father could forgive on, hug on, cry on. Jesus is the way he's the path that a prodigal creation walks to return to a loving father, God for us. In this exchange of his purposeful son for a prodigal creation, Jesus emptied his life emptied his life so that we could be filled. He emptied himself because we were empty. There had to be an undoing. There had to be an inverse of our rebellion against God. Hebrews 10.10 says it this way, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Not only is God for us, God is for you. God is for all, for all. Maybe you feel today that you're not a great gift. Maybe you feel that you're not going on God's refrigerator because you don't color in the lines well enough. You're not going on the refrigerator because you don't measure up to the people around you. You're the, um, maybe you're the black sheep of your family. You're the sore thumb. You're the one that's messed up too many times. You have to understand what Hebrews 10.10 10 says, that God is for all, that sacrifice once, for all time, for all creation, for you. How much God loves you. The third thought I want you to record today is that God for us places a fork ahead of us and demands a response. God with us, Jesus coming, being born in the flesh being fully man. That's great. Jesus was with sinners. Jesus was with believers and unbelievers. It doesn't necessarily demand a response from you. But when you read the story and you see that he humbled himself in the form of a servant, he emptied himself for you, that demands a response. Will you be for God? A fork is all of a sudden in the road. Am I for God or am I against God? When we receive God for us, we choose to be for him. We enter this exchange of faith. We sang earlier this morning, if our God is for us, who can stand against us? Right out of Romans 8, when we're considering the protection and provision of God, when we're considering that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Heights, depths, angels, demons, not even hell can separate us from the love of Christ all the power of hell against us. Because what Christ has done for us is for all creation, for all time. Nothing can take it away. We have access to him. And when we were singing that song, you know, sometimes people misinterpret that, that statement in Romans 8. It doesn't say that no one's against you. It doesn't say that there's no opposition. What we're saying is, if our God is for us, then nothing can overcome us, nothing can have victory over us, nothing can subjugate us, nothing can separate us from what God has for us. Nothing can separate us from our eternal needs, our spiritual needs, our greatest needs. All of those things have been purchased for us, they're protected by God, they're preserved for us, we have access to them, and no opponent, no opponent can separate us or divide us from Him doesn't mean that you will not, amen, doesn't mean that you will not have opposition. It doesn't mean that that nothing will come against you. Today, I imagine in the room, people have so many opponents, so many circumstances that stand against their their well-being and their health in this life. So many things standing against you. Your debt. Um, Maybe it's sickness and disease maybe it's the threat of death standing in front of you maybe it's your in-laws maybe it's your circumstances you're gonna have opposition everywhere you look in this life but when we say god is for us who can stand against us We're, we're saying it like this let me explain it this way uh i got the pleasure of coaching my son's soccer team this year and in practice all the kids are playing and um in it's so great watching them scrimmage and watching them play. And it's just chaos. I mean, at their age, you can't say, oh, this team's going to win or that team's going to win. It's pure chaos. I would never bet on one of these games. But at the end of each practice, while we're playing, we'll say, okay, coach is playing now and I'll jump in on, on one of the teams and help out. And let me just tell you, everything changes when the coach is in the huddle. Everything changes when the coach is on the field. Well, I have like 27 years on these kids. Um, For one, I'm a little bit older and can run a little bit faster. But everything changes. Maybe you grew up playing uh, basketball in the street or something like that, and then one of the dads comes out and joins the team. Everything changes when the dad joins the team. And I just want, want you to understand that because God is for us, nothing can separate us from victory because that victory is in him. Everything changes when your dad's in the huddle. You're gonna have issues. You're gonna feel overwhelmed sometimes. You'll have traffic jams and you'll have a shopping list that you need God to show up in, you need to submit to him. You'll have the SATs, you'll have the IRS, you'll have all kinds of things that you have to struggle through. God is with you, God is for you. God loves you and cares about you. And when it comes to the biggest issues of life, Your spiritual victory your redemption nothing can separate you from the love of christ if god is for you the enemy is powerless powerless to defeat you there is an exclusive distribution of god's gifts in christ the problem is when we add god's gift in to the world's gifts we say thank you god for being for me, for giving me this great gift that says for Anthony in Jesus. I'm going to add that to the gifts the world has for me, and then I'll be all right. I'm going to add that in to the pleasures of this world and the pleasures of this life that I'm depending on for my joy, that I'm depending on for my security, that I'm really worshiping. Syncretize it all together, and it'll all be okay. That's not how the gift of God works we have to be standing solely on him today let me put it to you this way when you believe that god is for you it cancels out the power of the gifts the world wants to tempt you with you start to understand that all those other gifts are trojan horses that the enemy's bringing to bring destruction and calamity into my life all those other gifts they might be shiny and sparkly on the outside they might look harmless on the outside when i start depending on the world when I start living, uh, desiring the culture around me, something happens in my heart. I become vulnerable to the temptation around me. I want to uh, explain it like this to help you understand you have everything you need. If you go home from church today, and um, if you're married in the room, you go home from church, and under the tree, there's a whole bunch of new gifts. And they're from your spouse's ex boyfriends, from your spouse's ex girlfriends. What would you do? You go home and you see that whoever your spouse dated before you, they've given them great, fancy, big, shiny gifts under the tree. I can only tell you what I would do. There's only a few options. The fireplace is one, eBay is another one. Uh, Maybe I return them in person and have a conversation about those gifts. You know, my wife went on some dates before we met with some intimidating people. She dated a police officer and she dated a Coast Guard rescue swimmer before God upgraded her to me. (laughs) And and I can barely swim. She falls overboard. I'll pray for her, though. <laughs> we'll pray for her. God is good. Amen. Intimidating people. If she received gifts from other men, intimidating people. What would I do? But I you to understand. God has all you need. You need to fight for your relationship with God. And when we consider. All that God did in the incarnation to be God for us, how he humbled himself so that you could be filled. He didn't, he didn't half empty himself so you could be half filled in this life. He emptied himself so that you could have everything you need. You don't have to look to the world. You don't have to look to the enemy for validation, for security, for, for pleasure and joy. You don't have to be one foot in with Jesus, one foot out. He emptied himself so you could be filled god is for you he's god with us and he's god for us god for us he came he cares and he's coming again i want to invite you wherever you're at today would you stand we're going to go into a time of of prayer and response i'm going to ask you if you're watching on online with us today to prepare some communion elements. We're going to have communion in in just a moment. If you're in the room, communion elements in the front or back if you need them. There's a lot of Grinches out there that want to steal what God has from you. for you. He has a monopoly on life. He has a monopoly on the fruits of the Spirit. He has a monopoly on a healthy home. You're not going to get it from anybody else or anywhere else. He has a monopoly on truth. He has a monopoly on faith. Go to him. Look to him. Surrender yourself to him. In that, you'll find all that he has. You'll receive it and you'll be blessed. This is how Jesus said it to us on the night he was betrayed. He said, This is my body, which is given for you. Yes, sir. For you. So, whenever you meet together, take this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Likewise, Jesus took the cup. He reminded us of what the Apostle Paul would say some 30 years later, that Christ emptied himself. He said, this is a new covenant. This cup represents my blood that is poured out for all. Whenever you meet together, take this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. You're worthy God. Folks, there's nothing we can put under God's tree today like this. There's nothing we can return the favor with, but you know what we can give? We can give God our worship. We can give Him our praise, we can give him our faith, we can give him our trust. We can give him our undivided soul devotion and worship and not split it up. Oh, there are other gods and idols. We can say, "Thank you Jesus. I look to you and only you. You are worthy, worthy of my attention. My effort, my worship. And that's what we're going to do this morning as we go into this time of worship. So thankful that each of you are here. If you heard nothing else out of this very simple message today, I want you to know God is for you and God loves you so much. Let's worship together.